Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Brian Lozes, founder and CEO of Kinemagic, an industrial immersive experience platform that's raised $3 million in funding. Brian, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Brett. Yeah, so before we can talk about what you're building, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, I'm an engineer, trained engineer out of school and have spent my entire professional career around heavy industrial facilities. We're talking uh, utilities that provide power, chemical plants that make all the product or the, the feed goods for the products that we consume, all the way into oil and gas facilities that supply energy for the world. And aside from that, I've always been this big technology enthusiast. And I've always had a sweet spot for the idea of pairing technology to really enable a larger, more complicated and dangerous industry into better performance. So as I was working projects and supporting operations for these big facilities, have been starting to see opportunities to bring new technologies into that space and challenge the way you work. Wow, very cool. And I see there that in 2017 or 2017 to 2019, you were vice president of VR. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. So that must have been very early days on VR, right? Yeah. So we were a part of an engineering firm at the time years ago. And we're working with some customers who are starting to ask, hey, it would be nice when our stakeholders, they walk these places as they're being built and they're saying they'd like them to be changed. It would be nice if our stakeholders could walk them down before they existed. So while we were designing these facilities firsthand, I was kind of living the problem statement that we would eventually build to. Nice. Super cool. And two questions we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. First one, what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about that? Yeah, uh, Reed Hastings, founder of Netflix. And what I admire most about Reed is, I think in years to come, he may be looked at as kind of the godfather of the modern technology working culture, where you're talking about radical candor and transparency to make sure that everybody is behind the mission of what your company is looking to do. So I really like the framework that he revealed to the world. Nice. That's such a good call out. What about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder? Well, I'm going to go back to Reed again. He's got a book book called The No Rules Rule. It's the Netflix and the culture of reinvention. And so if you like what he's about, his book really is a playbook about how they integrated that in Netflix. And it's made it very easy for us to understand the why you do certain things and then for us to implement those same cultural elements in your company. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah, I feel like Netflix is one of those first companies to really put their culture out there in the public. I can't remember who yeah. what their team was. Maybe I think it was like their head of HR or chief people yeah. officer, but she put their uh, that slide deck out that became very yeah. big. And I, one of my takeaways from that was just their, um, oh, it's been years, but I think it was like a culture of excellence. And they just talked a lot about how they have a culture of excellence. And by making that such a top priority, it essentially forces people out of the company and, and makes it clear when they're not a fit, when they're not you know, an excellent performer, which I thought was just super cool and super smart. 
we've lived some of those things and we before reading these books and have had to make choices around them. And then after reading the book and seeing similar outcomes, it's so validating to see such a massively successful company being perspective about these things. So uh, yeah, we have a lot to relate to what they're going, what their ethos projects. Isn't that fun when that happens? I've had that happen a few times in my life. I had that with uh, you know, category creation, which is what I'm obsessed with. We were doing it for four or five years. And then I yeah. read this book called Play Bigger and it said it was a thing. I was like, oh, holy shit. This is a, it's a thing that we're doing here. It's not some like thing that was just in my head. It's something that other people are doing as well. So it's right, fun. Right, it's right. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you think at the time you're taking a big risk and trying something new. And when it works out well, you're like, all right. And then when you hear that validated elsewhere, it, it helps you to build confidence in making more decisions like that. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's switch gears here and let's go deeper into the company. So take us back to day one or the days leading up to day one. What's the origin story? Yeah, I and mean, I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier. I was designing, operating these big, complicated facilities. And what we saw in the world of projects is that facilities were designed and then they were being constructed in the field and you'd watch them erect and stakeholders would walk it because it's intuitive for them to walk it down. It's not intuitive for them to visualize a complex object on a computer screen. And when they'd walk it, they'd say, well, I don't like where that valve is placed. Maybe I can't reach it. I don't like where that piece of equipment is placed because it's difficult to maintain. And oftentimes you end up spending extra money to fix that. And it's always very expensive. There are documented cost curves that show the further along our project is in construction, the more expensive changes become. And it's a real big problem where as a country, we spend trillions of dollars every year on capital projects. And there's empirical data that's showing upwards of eight to 10% of that money is wasted every year just due to construction-related rework. So we built it once, let's reconstruct it again. So that we felt like that was a pretty big opportunity to fix. And the best part was a customer of ours came to us who understood the problem and said, I think after trying virtual reality technology, we could have an opportunity to expose our stakeholders to that site so they could go vet it and find the problems. And that was... The swirling of all those things and then trying VR firsthand and realizing it could take you to another location, that came together and said, oh, wait, there's a real opportunity to address a serious problem in this world. And the real neat part here, as, well, as we may talk about at some point, is that that's where it started and it's continued to evolve over time. And what was that like leaving your job to start this company? What was going on in your head? Just you know, the, the psychology of an entrepreneur there. And what were those conversations like with your family, friends, and colleagues? Did people think you were insane? Or what were, what were those conversations like? You know, ours is a little different. We were able to, as we started as a business unit within a mid-sized engineering company, they're very entrepreneurial as well. And so we were able to make a deal to go create this company. So... Mm-hmm. We were able to build some momentum with one organization and then create a company of our own. So it was very nice to have investors, if you will, at it, right out the gate, who believed in what we were doing to help us really spring forward. So, you know, having the right partners of the room is a big deal. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And can you talk to us about traction and what some of those growth numbers look like today? Yeah, so... 
traction's been very exciting for us. We've got now several Fortune 100 companies using our product across the globe. Wow. And bunches more using it in pockets ranging from European areas to the Middle East, to the Asians, across North America. And what's exciting is they all start, there's typically a pilot project and pilot application. And the success of that pilot every time is resulting in multiplication, what they use inside inside their organization. So it's pretty neat. And we multiply year over year with revenue, with the number of individual customers that we have on board. And it just seems to be accelerating. Wow, that's amazing. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Now, take us back to the very first time you put on a VR headset. What was that like for you? Was that like this big mind-blowing experience when you're like, wow, this is going to change everything? Or was it more of kind of a, a slow process where you put it on, played with it, and just you became more interested over time? You know, some people we see, they put it on the first time and it's like, boom, they got it. And it wasn't, I used it and it was such a big question mark for me. Like it was almost hard for me to fully grasp what I was experiencing. And it took the idea of hearing that problem statement from our customers. It took using the VR devices a few times to actually start to say, wait, I think we can do this. And then when we were able to use a very little amount of funding to take the first industrial asset and bring it into the VR environment, and when we walked that asset down, it was like, oh, this is it. This is going to do it. Because before then, I was playing video games. And you're like, yeah, okay, right. Video games are really neat. But then when we brought our industry's content into it, very, very small, like something the size of a room. When we brought it in, then it was, oh, we're onto something here. How do you deal with, uh, I don't know what they call it exactly, but like VR sickness. I bought a VR headset about a year ago and I put it on. I'm like, this is so cool. This is so fun. And then I literally, like four minutes later, I was like the sickest I've ever been. And I haven't been on since then. Is that a, an issue that you deal with? And if so, how are you dealing with that? Yeah, yeah. It's been an issue from the get-go. And so there are a lot of industry standard ways of reducing the possibility of sickness uh, in the environment. So first, like I think the best way to use it is tactically. And that's 10, 20, 30 minutes at a time. I, I don't see our product being the kind of thing where you put the VR gear on at 9 a.m. and you jump out at 5 p.m. We're using it as a tool to do certain things. But second, we have continued to bring features into a product like the way you move in that environment or the way you move from location to location that reduces the possibility of VR sickness. And then we also see that people, that as they use it, that tendency toward VR sickness goes away. But some folks ultimately may struggle with it. And that's why we've also built a PC mode, which mm. is mountain board based to supplement too. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Now, is there a specific case study or customer success story that you could talk us through just to highlight what it really looks like in action when a customer is using it? Uh, well, there's so many. And I'll take the one that just happened about a week ago. 
We've got one, and we're going to make a case study on this one to put out on the internet. I won't release the company name yet, but they're a big one. Everybody knows it. And they have a heavy industrial facility that's remote. And it was remote from the headquarters. And it also had involvement from third-party vendors and our team. So you had people at the facility, people in the headquarters, people with the vendor in other parts of the country, and then our folks all participating. And in that case, we all got into the VR environment together, all representatives, avatars, and they conducted a planning exercise for this facility. And the old way would have been, hey, everybody, probably 15, 20 people, let's jump on helicopters and let's fly out to the site. And you're going to be there for multiple days to conduct a couple hours worth of work. And that's a huge expense. Just the idea of flying people out to that asset, much less the logistical nightmare of getting them all together. Well, again, a week ago, everybody just jumped in a meeting. They were all represented in the space as though they were at that site, knocked out the scope of work in a couple hours. And they said that they not only fully recovered the value of that contract, they started bringing additional savings into their organization in one meeting. Wow. That would be one hour, two hour session done. They're like, we're done for the year. Right? And that was such a neat thing. And we're seeing more and more of that as we progress. Wow. That's incredible. Now, talk to me about market categories. So in the intro there, I, I labeled it an industrial immersive experience platform. But how do you define yourselves and how do you think about that market category that you're in? Yeah, I think that the market category using immersive technology is still rolling out into the world, uh, moving along. But I think we are bringing a new market category into the industrial space. Mm -hmm. Because when we think of immersive technology, it's often thought of about, you hear headlines with Meta trying to bring the metaverse to everybody at home. Well, we look at our product as a tool to help reduce the need to go out in the field, the need to go to that point of interest. And there's no other group that has that, that is doing that. Because the old way was, well, let's just spend the money and go there. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm sure you've experienced a couple of challenges as you've brought this to market. If we had to pick one challenge that you faced and overcame, what would that challenge be? And how'd you overcome it? Oh, that's a good one. I may cheat here and do two if you don't, don't get in trouble. <laughs> so uh, big challenge here. VR is quite new. It's new to a number of folks. And when we were first bringing this possibility to customers, it was such a leap from more or less using nothing or using a monitor-based experience to wearing the headset. So what we had to do was to create a bridge. And that bridge is what we call our, our mouse and keyboard or PC mode. So a lot of the features, like the ability to create work packages and annotate and, and join in on multi-user meetings, those all, all those features existed, exist in a mouse and keyboard version. So folks with a standard enterprise computer can join in on the value proposition. But then some people also would use the VR gear. And those people tended to be a little more tech forward. Maybe perhaps at times they might have already had the VR gear. And so that combination was useful in helping to create a bridge between the old way of let's just go out there and jumping all the way into VR gear. So that was, uh, we found that to be a very necessary step. Mm -hmm. But the second element of, of an evolution of this product 
we always thought that our core value proposition was going to be around how do you see a design and pick up the flaws in that design before it's constructed? Well, we had a hunch that people also wanted to see the site as it existed. If the world out there is following, there's this whole category called reality capture. You have drones that are flying environments, laser scanners that are capturing. So we set out and we're the world's first to actually incorporate the footage from drones and laser scanning gear. So you can take any site as it exists right now and bring it into that space. And it turns out that that's a hugely valuable element for our customers and very unique for our product in that our customers around the world can visit their site as you would see it, not just as a computer model. And they can derive value, not just from the design of projects, but how do you maintain that site? And how do you train people to operate in that facility? It opens up the ability to make this applicable to people beyond just new capital projects. Makes a lot of sense. Now, last question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years from today. What's the company look like? What's the impact look like on the industry and your customers? Yeah, yeah, you know, Three to five years from now, we want to be in every worker's hands and attributable to a vast reduction in the amount of time people are spending in dangerous environments so they can make their decisions while they're away from it. And I can't give away too many details on this right now, but we're investing deeply in our product to increase the scalability to enable that, the readiness to enable that. And then to widen the value proposition so that it makes sense to everybody will use it. And so for those following us, we've got some big announcements on the technology front this year that are really milestone moments for us to open ourselves up to that goal of being in everyone's hands. Nice. That's amazing. That's smart. Now you have to come back on and uh, tell us about those details later on. Brian, yeah. I'll... What <laughs> the manager strategy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, unfortunately, we're up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. If people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, we're very active on LinkedIn and, of course, our website as well. Those are two great places. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to chat, share your story, and talk about this vision. This is such exciting technology and such a cool company, and really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate the time. All right. Keep in touch. 